0: The following will be a short commentary on the Old Testament book of Ruth. It is a beautiful story of love and fidelity told in four short chapters. Some of the main themes include God's providence at work in the world, often hidden and behind the scenes, yet leading those who follow to important actions for themselves and others even in difficult times of crisis, and even though... They may be outsiders or at a distinct disadvantage. Second, God's steadfast love, or covenant love, translated from the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, and how we can participate in this attribute as regards our own interpersonal relationships. Third, the notion of a kinsman-redeemer, that is, a near-blood relative whose duty it is to protect The family name and inheritance. Fourth, the importance of virtue in right living, establishing lasting relationships, and building community. We will also look at some lessons to be gleaned from this book and apply it to our lives. Like all scripture, there is great wisdom to be had from God's inspired Word, but this little book has particular relevance today given the fractured nature of our culture and the many vulnerable people who can easily fall through the cracks when we fail to live out virtuous lives. Scholars conclude that we simply do not know who wrote the Book of Ruth or when it was written. There are several speculations, but the truth is this has simply not been disclosed by the text itself. We do know that the Book of Ruth is one of only three books named after a woman in the entire Bible. The other books are Esther and Judith. Also, Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament named after a Gentile. The book, although classified as historical, scholars are divided as to how historical it really is. As far as its canonical status, there were no objections either in Judaism or Christianity, whether Catholic or Protestant. The story takes place, as verse 1 tells us, in the days when judges ruled. This would be roughly between the time of 1200 and 1000 BC, that is, after the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and before the establishment of the monarchy with King David. So there was much instability in the land and a great deal of conflict, with no single ruler but rather local judges or military figures, everyone did as they saw fit, a frequently repeated phrase within the twelve chapters of the book of Judges. Some of the most horrific stories come especially within the last five chapters of the book, where we encounter rape, murder, civil war, idolatry, anarchy, oppression, and apostasy. As an example we have the story in chapters 19-21 to of the book of Judges where a Levite and his concubine travel from Bethlehem in Judah to Gibeah in the tribe of Benjamin. A mob quickly attack the couple and demand to gang rape the Levite who to protect himself gives them his concubine. She is abused violently and dies. The Levite in response cuts her body into 12 pieces and then sends them throughout the territory of Israel. The other tribes are so outraged that they swear to give none of their daughters to the Benjamites for marriage and begin a civil war that all but wipes out the tribe. Feeling regret about nearly exterminating a brother tribe, they leave 600 men surviving but then massacre the city of Jabeth Gileah, who had nothing to do with either the war or the vow, abducting four hundred maidens for the Benjamites to replenish the tribe. The two hundred men still lacking a virgin are allowed to abduct the women of Shiloh. Such are the conditions of anarchy at the beginning of the Book of Ruth. To make matters worse, As the text indicates, there was a famine in the land, not surprising since famine is one of the curses listed in the Mosaic Law for failure to observe the covenant. See, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 28. The setting is Bethlehem, which is quite ironic since it is not only in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, but Bethlehem means house of bread. It is also where King David would be born, and a Messiah, as Micah prophesies in chapter 5, verse 2, quote, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one-to-be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. End of. Quote. With this background, I will now recite the entire first chapter and then go back over some of the highlights for commentary. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, Both Malan and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you and your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. "'Why would you come with me? "'Am I going to have any more sons "'who could be your husbands? "'Return home, my daughters. "'I am too old to have another husband. "'Even if I thought there was still hope for me, "'even if I had a husband tonight "'and then gave birth to sons, "'would you wait until they grew up? "'Would you remain unmarried for them? "'No, my daughters. "'It is more bitter for me than for you.' because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went out until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now let us go back to see some of the important points in this opening chapter. A man by the name of Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and two sons to Moab in search of food. Moab is located southeast of the Dead Sea, but his present-day west-central Jordan. The name Moab comes from one of the actual descendants of Lot. In the book of Genesis chapter 19, Lot, who lived in Sodom, takes into his home for protection two travelers who turned out to be angels. When a Sodomite mob insists that the two guests be brought out for them to rape, Lot offers his two daughters instead. But before they could act, the angels blind the mob and usher Lot and his family to safety before God rains down fire and destroys the city. After escaping from Sodom, Lot and his daughters live in isolation in a cave. Fearing that without husbands they would have no heirs, the daughters conspire to get their father drunk and each in turn have relations with him. This incestuous affair produces two children one of whom was named Moab. Thus, Moab and Israel are distantly related since Lot was the nephew of the Israelite patriarch Abraham. However, they quickly become enemies. Moab is located just short of the Promised Land, and when Israel, in Judges chapter 11, verses 17-18, to 18, requests access through their country, Moab refuses Matters worsen in Numbers chapter 22 as Balak, king of Moab, hires the soothsayer Balaam to curse Israel. Despite his several attempts, God would not allow Balaam to denounce his chosen son, and Balaam ends up uttering a messianic prophecy I see him, though not near. A star shall advance from Jacob, and a staff shall arise from Israel. Israel shall do valiantly, and Jacob overcome his foes. And of quote, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 to 19. As a result of these actions, Deuteronomy chapter 23 specifies that no Moabite, quote, ever be admitted into the community of the Lord, nor any descendant of his, even to the tenth generation, because they would not succor you with food and water on your journey, After you left Egypt, and because Moab hired Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. Finally, as Israel was heading to the promised land, some women of Moab seduced the men of Israel into sexual sin and idolatry before the great Canaanite fertility god Baal, which causes the Lord to send a plague upon Israel. Numbers chapter 25 verses 1 to 5. This, together with the anarchy depicted in the book of Judges, is the context in which the story of Ruth takes place. To escape the famine, Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and two sons to dwell in the country of Moab. It is a departure from the promised land into pagan territory, similar to Abraham sojourning in Egypt in Genesis chapter 12. Given the history just outlined, One quickly realizes how desperate the conditions must have been to drive Elimelech, whose name means, My God is King, and his family, out of the land promised by God to Abraham and his descendants into the pagan territory of Moab. Although there is no mention in the text of wrongdoing, Elimelech soon dies and his two sons, Kilian and Malon, also perish. The two had married foreign wives from Moab, something discouraged by God, since, as we have said, the offspring from such marriage were prohibited from entering the assembly of the Lord to the tenth generation. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 4 to 5. Thus three women are widowed, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, and without children. Immediately, therefore, in this opening chapter, There is tension. Will the line of descendants run out with respect to Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, all of whom are childless widows? It is not until chapter 4 that we learn how important this question is when the genealogy of King David is revealed and Obed the son of Ruth by Boaz becomes the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David. What is at stake, therefore, is nothing less than the royal line of Judah and ultimately the Messiah. If God does not intervene at this point, it is very possible that there would be no royal line. There is also tension because a childless widow in that pagan culture would be quite vulnerable. As mentioned, the socio-economic and religious ties of the land fell apart. Widows were easy targets for abuse and exploitation, many of whom had to resort to prostitution to survive. How would these three women cope? Who would support them? Verse 6 of chapter 1 of the book of Ruth states that Naomi started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the Lord had visited his people Israel and given them food. By ending the drought, God initiates the first of many steps that lead Naomi and Ruth back to Israel to meet a kinsman redeemer by the name of Boaz. Divine providence is at work behind the scenes in this remarkable story. Notice also in verse 8 that the theme of hesed is introduced when Naomi considers what is in the best interest of her daughters-in-law by putting them ahead of herself. Naomi realizes that for two foreign women without husbands to live in Israel would be a hardship, so she urges them for their benefit to return to Moab with their own people and perhaps marry again and have their own family. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. In this prayer, Naomi invokes the personal name Yahweh to bless Ruth and Orpah because of their love for her and their dead husbands. As well, the word kind in Hebrew is translated from hesed, which means loving, steadfast love, loyalty, mercy, and grace. With respect to God, this is his self-understanding, his own character, When we look back to the book of Exodus chapter 34, Moses is on Mount Sinai with the Lord, asking God to reveal to him God's glory and name. The response from God begins in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and faithfulness, keeping merciful love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. End of quote said, is so important in the Old Testament that it is repeated 246 more times. Furthermore, the term is linked to God's own covenant. God binds himself to humanity as regards steadfast love. And since God is eternal, his nature unchanging, that love endures eternally, as the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 135, The frequently repeated refrain, for his love endures forever. This is why the notion that God in the Old Testament is somehow harsh, severe and punishing as compared to Jesus in the New Testament is so misplaced. God does not change throughout Scripture and salvation history. It does mean that sinners must still repent, but if they call upon the name of the Lord, God extends his mercy. That is the meaning of hesed as regards the vertical relationship between God and his people. With respect to the horizontal relationship, we are meant to participate in hesed, indeed to be transformed by it. In fact, it is mandated in the Old Testament by the prophet Micah, who in chapter 6 verse 8 states, You have been told, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy and to humbly walk with your God? End of quote. In the New Testament, Jesus tells several parables that explain and expand what said means. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, we have the unforgiving servant who refused to show said to a fellow servant after he himself had received it in abundance from the king. Having been forgiven, a HUGE DEBT OF TEN THOUSAND TALENTS, HE refused TO FORGIVE HIS FELLOW SERVANT WHO OWED HIM A MERE ONE HUNDRED denarii, AND THROWS HIM INTO PRISON UNTIL HE WOULD PAY THE LAST PENNY. AS THIS MATTER IS BROUGHT BEFORE THE KING, HE IS APPALLED AND DEAR SEVERELY WITH THIS UNJUST SERVANT THAT REFUSED TO SHOW HESED TO HIS FELLOW SERVANT. IN LUKE CHAPTER 10 THERE IS THE PARABLE OF THE GOOD SAMARITAN which describes who is our neighbor. Jesus expands the concept to anyone in need, not just to a fellow Israelite. It was the Samaritan who had compassion on the Jew who had been beaten by thieves. He bandaged his wounds, brought him to the inn, and paid for his lodging. Thus, the divine and human concepts of hesed intersect insofar as God takes the initiative and through His grace, He strengthens our ability to respond in a way that images His loving-kindness. In the Book of Ruth, this notion of hesed is what prevails. God, by His act of providence, leads the three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, so that they ultimately share this love with each other. They portray what hesed looks like in interpersonal family relationships. By their loyalty for each other, salvation is ultimately brought to the world. Now, back to our story. Ruth does the so-called sensible thing and bids goodbye to her mother-in-law, Naomi. It would be in her best interest, after all. Naomi is old and impoverished, and the journey would be difficult. But the decision is significant because, by taking the easier path of leaving Naomi, Orpah also leaves the God of Israel. Ruth, on the other hand, will not abandon Naomi. She chooses the narrow way, going well beyond the expected, and therefore begins to participate in Hesed. This despite one last attempt by Naomi who says, See now, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Go back after your sister-in-law. Notice the appeal to community, one's God, and the wisdom of a sister-in-law, that is, homeland, religion, and family. But to no avail. Ruth's mind and heart are made up. In verse 15, Ruth uses the covenant term, cling, in describing her loyalty, which is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, describing how a man leaves his father and mother And clings to his wife in the covenant of marriage. Verse 16 of the book of Ruth describes Ruth's truly remarkable commitment Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Here is utter abandonment and self-sacrifice on the part of Ruth toward her mother-in-law. Ultimately, she unites herself to Israel and to Israel's God. She becomes, as St. Paul will say in Romans chapter 4, a true Israelite, a true descendant of Abraham, not by flesh and blood, but by faith. Ruth's steadfast love or hesed to Naomi extends even unto death, for in Sheol they will not be departed. This is lifelong commitment made to Naomi. In effect, with is saying that even after Naomi's death, Ruth will remain an Israelite until she dies, and faithful to Israel's God. Swearing a solemn oath to Yahweh illustrates that Ruth has definitively left her paganism. Although a foreigner with no standing, likely subject to prejudice given the strained relationship between Israel and Moab, yet here in Israel Ruth will reside with her mother-in-law and put her faith in God's providence. Her utter abandonment and self-sacrifice is in a sense similar to Mary's fiat, let it be done to me according to your will. As Mary is a type of co-redeemer, so will Ruth become. She is also similar to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, who followed God's voice unconditionally. Abraham's faith was rewarded as he ultimately becomes patriarch of Israel. Ruth's faith will likewise be greatly rewarded and fruitful because she will bring to Israel its line of kings, starting from David. In fact, the promises of blessing by God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 will flow through Ruth to Israel and ultimately all the nations. When you really think of it, Ruth is even more remarkable than Abraham because Abraham had much more going for him. He was very rich, heard God's voice, and he was a man. In that culture, Abraham had far more supports than Ruth. Ruth, however, responds with utter abandonment and faith following her mother-in-law to a foreign land, going well beyond common sense to selfless sacrificial love, even going so far as to swear an oath in the name of Yahweh, invoking a curse on herself if she forsakes her mother-in-law. And so Ruth journeys to Israel, leaving her home and pagan gods. Ruth's faith is in accordance with the divine mind, in this sense. The election of Israel is for the sake of the Gentiles. As the prophet Isaiah said, The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. Others will I gather to him besides those already gathered. Isaiah chapter 56 Ruth's said is instrumental in bringing to the world Jesus Christ, who will gather all people by being lifted up from the earth. The ultimate act of Hesed that is, sacrificial love. For us today, the mission of Christ is our mission. Through loving kindness toward those who are in need, may we not only invite but accompany them on this journey into union with God and friendship with God's people, the Church. Notice, as well, that Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest which is how the chapter ends. God's providence is most certainly at work. However, arriving in Bethlehem, Naomi bemoans to the people who greet her a great reversal. She came out of Israel full, that is, married, secure, and with children, and has come back now an empty poor widow. She says, Do not call me Naomi, which means sweetness or pleasant, but Mara, which means bitter. She claims the Almighty has afflicted her, but as we will see, God has great plans for Naomi by his covenant love, and it will come primarily through Ruth. In fact, she does not really come back empty. She comes back with a daughter-in-law worth more than any pearl of great price. Even though Naomi thinks her life is falling apart, Even though we may think our life is falling apart, God's providence is offered. He may make some adjustments to our life to get us back on track, as he certainly did with the characters of our story, but as St. Paul says, first comes suffering, and then comes glory. In Romans 8, verse 18, we hear, For I consider the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory which will be revealed in us, end of quote. So what are the lessons we can learn from this opening chapter of the book of Ruth? First, there is hope even in the darkest time of life. Naomi loses her spouse and children, and that is certainly devastating, but she gains a daughter-in-law of great value, who, as it turns out, has faith. In times of struggle, we are called to have faith as well. And how is faith defined in Scripture? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 states, quote, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This great virtue is celebrated throughout chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews, with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the faith of figures such as Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. The book of Hebrews resoundingly declares that faith sees well beyond any present crisis or hardship, from fear of the unknown to conquer anxiety, and to trust the Lord who is always working providentially behind the scenes. A second lesson is how hesed or covenant love can bring unity among people of different backgrounds. There was much that could have divided our characters, Naomi and Ruth, especially during this time of crisis. They came from different cultures. Ruth was brought up serving idols. Moab was an enemy of Israel. There was also a difference in age, yet they had in common something much greater, their need, both being widows vulnerable and poor. Created in God's image and likeness, they needed friendship. They needed love. That is what drew them together. They shared their sorrows, their losses, and their affection. Covenant love led them to take steps that ultimately would bring salvation to the world through King David, through the birth of the Messiah. The third lesson is the power of witness. Naomi allowed Ruth the freedom to return to her people. She thought of Ruth ahead of herself. This selfless attitude encouraged Ruth to do likewise. Both Naomi and Ruth were willing to sacrifice for the benefit of the other that set in motion a series of events which changed history. The fourth lesson, one's past does not necessarily define one's future. Ruth as a foreigner and outcast, would not have been allowed into the Temple of Jerusalem to worship because she was a pagan, but this did not deter her covenant love, loyalty and self-sacrifice. And so God works as providence to raise up these figures. This is very similar to the Old Testament book of Tobit, who also lived in a pagan land, this time among the captives deported to Nineveh. Yet his righteous deeds, that is, burying the dead, almsgiving and prayer, were like a fragrant offering rising up into the throne room of God. The Lord responds by sending the Archangel Raphael, in disguise, to lead Tobit's son Tobiah on a journey to his future wife Sarah, protecting both of them from a demon on their wedding night, and ultimately healing Tobit of his blindness. This theme of providence is abundant throughout the Old Testament, but especially here in the book of Ruth at the worst of times, when judges ruled and everyone did what was right in their own eyes.